0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all enjoying your weekend. Welcome back to the show. Um, it's me, as ever, Dan Potts, your host, and I'm with Graham. Graham, how are you, sir?
1: I'm very well, mate. How are you? Looking forward to the last team talk breakdown of the season. Uh, before we start today, many congratulations on starting your own channel, mate. Um, those of you don't know, Dan is actually venturing out. Have been uh, in uh, starting a new channel next month called Twelve Man Podcast uh well well overdue long overdue dan um love your passion for the club and uh, brilliant host on Lee judges tv i think you've got a lot of things really relevant to say about football and i think it's going to be a great venture for you and i wish you the best of luck with it mate.
0: well listen that's very kind of you um and for those of you that uh, haven't done so already if you can support the channel it would be great it's called football's 12th man podcast it's coming soon uh only in a few weeks time uh, get yourself over, if you can, please, to support the channel. Um am trying to get up to 1,000 subs if I can. I'm, I'm about 730 at the moment, so it'd be great to get over to 1K uh, in time for it to start. Football's 12th man, search on YouTube. Um, that would be absolutely brilliant. And thank you, Graham, for your kind words, mate. That's really nice of you. I really appreciate that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the season, Graham, and perhaps where we think it got a little bit... Um, Nervy and maybe a little bit too intense For some of this young side and this young manager I wanted to get your thoughts overall I think everybody knows my thoughts Of why I think it's gone wrong And perhaps where Um, We could have looked to have done things differently if in hindsight. um, I'm looking in particular at the kind of January transfer window. Um, I had my queries over an inexperienced team with an inexperienced manager with an inexperienced board and inexperienced footballing men like Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke to get an understanding of perhaps why this process might not be that quick and might take a few years too long. So I wanted to get a bit of a rundown from your thoughts and how you're feeling going into the last game of the season, which let's be honest, Graham, we were all hoping
1: would have been a lot more exciting for us. Yeah, obviously, the way it's uh, unravelled over the last uh, week or so has been immensely disappointing. Um, in the end, I think the way I look at it is I don't think yet that we got the quality to be a Champions League team. Then. and that That is just my overall assessment of it. Um, I think we've made massive strides this year. I think that the first uh, real thing that they wanted to do is achieve European qualification, uh, which they've done through the Europa League. Obviously, a lot of fans, I think, wanted the Champions League. And, and the fact that we got so close, the fact that it was in our hands, the fact we've lost out in the end to our biggest rivals, obviously, as obviously a bit of a downer. I, I won't lie. Um, um, but for all that, I still think the team have made strides this year. Uh, I think that uh, under Arteta, we've... Uh, um, more wins this year than we've had. I think two years ago we only had something like 14 wins in the Premier League. It's done like 21 wins now, so that's that's a positive. I think he's uh, developed a style of play this season, which is another positive. He's got a preferred start in 11, which is a positive. So there are much there is much to like about the way the season's gone. I think it has been a season of progress uh, from back to back eights to fifth. Uh, I think if you'd said at the start of the season, mate, would you? Uh, take fifth place for Arsenal this season, you would have taken it. Uh, you know, most fans, Arsenal fans, would have taken it. We would not have foreseen the collapse by Man United uh, and the way that Tottenham started off, um, as well, and the fall away of teams like Leicester. So I, I think that fifth place in the end is probably where we're at for this young team. Probably not quite ready for Champions League football. I think they took a massive gamble in January, as you said, by not strengthening the transfer window. Uh, took huge risks. Uh, and ultimately that's been the undoing. I think the reason why they did that was, um, as we were talking about before we started the show this morning, we were in that period between December and March where we took something like 28 points out of 33, and that was the time they decided to obviously let Aubameyang go after the row that was going on behind the scenes, uh, the issues with his conduct and all that. Uh, I think it was a mistake not to bring in another forward. I think that um, the other thing I will say is that uh, Arteta's system, uh, the way he wants to play, is that, Heavy over reliance on the fullbacks, and I think, and also on a guy being capable of anchoring the midfield. So, when you look back to that period, we had that fantastic run of 28 points out of 33. When you think back of that period after a very difficult start, we went on a good run, we had the continuity of a solid back line Ramsdale and Tommy Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel and Tierney. In particular, the fullbacks, Tomiyasu being able to be inverted and be incredibly disciplined when he's one on one duels. And Tierney to be able to go high and support the attack when we attacked in our five lanes of attack. Uh, and then a uh, party being able to anchor the midfield and play through the press. They were important components of his team. And he took a huge risk in sort of like um, not addressing anything in the January transfer window uh, up front, replacing the Bamang or bringing, allowing Maitland-Nars, for example, to go out on loan, getting rid of players in the club. They wanted to trim the wage bill, but not bringing anyone in should any of these key players get injured, and ultimately that's what's undone us. I think the backup players have come in. We've praised the likes of Cedric Holding, on any uh, and Nketiah for doing reasonable jobs. That's uh, in the running, but ultimately they couldn't manage it um, in the high-pressure moments. And I think when you, you've got a glimpse of where we are at a club at the moment, we can't seem to manage the high-pressure moments, the games when we're under pressure. That's off the pitch and on the pitch. Um, uh, if you look at the games we've lost, every Monday night game this season under lights, when the, the football world is watching, I don't think we've won any of those games. I think we've lost three of them. We couldn't match Crystal Palace's or Newcastle's intensity and in their high press on the on the field of play. I think teams have got a way of now disrupting the way we play. They try. Arsenal like to start games with a steady stream of possession to get rhythm into their game. Teams are now changing the way they play against us. So this is something that we need to do. Uh, think about. I think next season. Uh, the way we start games. And th- what teams are doing at the moment is they're getting a leading games, knowing that once Arsenal fall behind, Arsenal have only come back uh, once, I think, this season when they've been losing in the game. I think they've lost 10 of the 11 games where they've been a goal behind. So what teams are doing is they're starting to sort of like, right, I think, and I saw evidence of it from Newcastle on Monday night, they're looking to kick long, chase balls down, put pressure on Arsenal at the start, stop them getting into their passing rhythm uh, with high intensity pressing get the first goal and then defend the lead, knowing that Arsenal will overcommit, probably flip to a 3-5-2 attacking shape when he, he, he changes it. And, and then they look to pick us off with a second goal. So I think that's the next stage of the team to, 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 to try and sort of like manage these moments in games where deal with the high intensity pressing and also be better under pressure. For all that, the team is still a very young group. Uh, I think the importance now of the summer window is massive of getting some good quality players, uh, six or seven players that you talked about. I would say um, a versatile fullback who can play, who's two-footed, who can play on either side, uh, two midfielders, uh, a wide forward and a couple of strikers maybe to make this team stronger, uh, get great experience around these good young group of players and go again next season, mate. But I think overall immense disappointment the way the season's played out, positives to be had, I think we are where we are and that is at the moment the Europa League team. I think that Tottenham are probably with that experienced manager as well uh, and it did make a difference I think Conte coming into them. They've probably got that experience uh, and they're probably at the moment uh, just above us in that and that that's the difference between Europa League and Champions League and that they probably have probably a better chance of doing better in the Champions League next year uh, than Arsenal at the moment and uh, I think the next part of the um, process and I don't like that word process, but the next part of the process is to get quality around these young players Have another season of building up and getting in. He's got to, I think deliver champions league next season.
0: Graham, I could not disagree with anything that you've said, mate. I think we're 100% um, aware. I don't think there's any Arsenal fan that that is misunderstood as to why we've not reached the top four. And unless, of course, a miracle happens tomorrow. Um, You're right in the latter part of what you said, in my opinion. Antonio Conte coming in to Tottenham has got that experienced elite manager record. He's got an unbelievable CV and what he's done not just by coming in and providing his style of play, which of course is difficult for everyone to break down. He's brought in... Two players in January and he's the only team that did that. And I did remember saying to a lot of people on here, whoever strengthens in January will get top four. Man United, West Ham and Arsenal and Wolves didn't do that. Tottenham did. And Kulusevski and Ben Sankar have been two of their best players. Along with that, the tactics and the motiva- motivation from Conte has brought the best out of Sir, um, Romero and Kane and Son. And I think those three, along with the two signings, have been their five best players. They will get, in my opinion, in the summer, an unbelievable chance if they back Conte to do very well next season and be a threat. And it does worry me if they get a couple of full-backs and a couple of defenders in, and that midfielder that's needed for them to kind of lead them forward. I do, I do, I do, I do worry about what Tottenham could do next season. In terms of Arsenal, I think you're right in relation to what you said in terms of all of the stats. I think the high press has really cost us against teams. I think the lights on Friday night at the first game of the season against Brentford, Monday night against Palace, Monday night against Everton. Monday night against Newcastle this young team and young manager doesn't seem to be able to deliver and when you look at those stats one game and that was at home to Wolves we went 1-0 down and won 2-1 in the last minute by an own goal flick from Lacazette that's the only time in the 11 games we've gone 1-0 down that we've won that's really poor not even to come back and draw those games for me just shows that there's some inexperience and mentality issues there also, I think January was key. I think your spot-on party and the fullbacks being injured has been massively costly. And I think next season, we need to look at that as perhaps in the summer, Cedric, Tavares and Lokonga, it weren't good enough because they, they're not experienced enough. And in my opinion, Cedric has not got, not got the quality uh, that we need. So those positions, I think, will will definitely be upgraded in the summer. But one thing I did want to touch on before we kind of move on for, to the Everton game was some stats around chance creations. I just want to read these out, Graham, and see perhaps where we move forward next season when we do, hopefully, and pray to get a couple of centre forwards in. In the last few seasons, this is the last five seasons, sorry, I'm reading this now. In a 2017-2018 season, Meza Erzl created 84 chances. In 2018-19, a year later, Ozil created 45. And in the season of 1920, Pepe created 40. In the season, last season of 2020 and 2021, Saka was our most created chances with 38. So they're going down. However, this season, Erdegaard puts himself out of the last five seasons in the top two with 72 chances created. So as much as I've been a, a kind of question marks over Martin Erdegaard's goal ratio, some of his assists, and believe he can do more, he is instrumental in midfield. And although he hasn't been great of late, he does kind of pull the strings in that midfield and he can be that chance creator. So does it give you confidence, Graham, that with him in the side, alongside a couple of forwards next season, that we might see Arsenal scoring more goals? And just on that, Alexander Izak was a player I would have gone for in January. A lot of people said, no chance, we're all accountants, we don't want to lose that much money. He's been really poor this season. He's only scored, I think, five uh, five goals. He scored 17 two seasons ago with Martin Erdegaard in the side at Real Sociedad. So I think them two together just had such a great connection and telepathy. And although I don't think we'll go for him in the summer, Isaac, I think we're looking at other targets. Does it fill you with confidence that perhaps with Erdegaard in the side, we can start to thread passes through and create more with an upgrade on Enketia and Lacazette in the summer?
1: I think, just answering the first part of your point there, one of the reasons why the drop-off from Odegaard has been recently, I think, is because of the loss of Thomas Party. I agree. I think uh, Thomas Party and Odegaard is the a, a, a partnership really that around which the team functions. Um, so when uh, Party's not there, it's a massive loss. But, uh, and I think Odegaard has not been probably playing in the areas of the pitch where he wants to play. He's been dropping deep at times. Uh, and also, if you look at the Newcastle game, he only had something like five touches in the first half alone, Sim- for the simple reason we weren't getting the ball to him because yeah. we couldn't because El and and Jacko just couldn't play through the press. So, But for all that, Odegaard's numbers are exceptional. Um, I think when I look at the last part of the season, uh, the goals that we're expected to score is less than the goals we should be, uh, we should be scoring. And we should be scoring more goals. Uh, so, so that's the point I'm making. So what I would say is it uh, clearly is an issue up front. Um, we run with three strikers this year. Uh, who, who obviously have got very low goal returns. Um, and that has been a problem for the team. We've been heavily over-reliant on our young group, uh, on the likes of Martinelli and Saka, uh, without playing what I will call an now, out-goal now scorer. If you look at the, what Tottenham have got in and son, they've got two goal scorers, and, and Man, even Man United, as poor as they've been, have got Ronaldo. Um, so I think we clearly need to address uh, up front, I think Lacazette, uh, and the Kettier will leave in the summer. Bamriang's already gone, so we are in the market for a forward. If we'd had a decent forward up front to put away the sort of chances we've been creating, I think we would have got top four, because when you think about it, uh, we've only narrowly missed out. Just one win against the likes of Brighton, Southampton and Palace, or you know, even Newcastle would have done it. So, And I think, although we've lost those games for reasons other than probably not having a quality forward, um, you, you know, you need a quality forward uh, and we haven't got it at the moment um, and that's been a massive loss this season and one of the reasons why I haven't quite got it over the line so th- I think if we did go out and get a forward I think I still wonder whether that Gabriel Jesus uh, rumour is more than a rumour if he's the player that we could get the reason why I still think it's a possibility even though we haven't nailed a Champions League spot is because with Haaland almost certainly Going to be turning up at the Etihad next season in a World Cup year, he's going to want to play for Brazil in the finals in Qatar. And if he's if he's only back up to Haaland or not playing that many games, um, he is not, he's not going to get in the Brazil team, is he? So, so I think he'll want to move now. Which team can he move to where he's almost like guaranteed to start? He's not, if he went to some of those other clubs, he's not still guaranteed to start, whereas at Arsenal with the position we got up front, he could probably walk into the team. So, um, yeah, just coming back to it, I am confident with Odegaard's numbers. I still think he's a really silky good player. And I just think he needs someone to be on the end of, of those chances. A great point you make, of course. He had that wonderful partnership with with Isaac uh, at Sociedad. So that's a possibility as well. But I would like to see us possibly get one or two forwards. You know, obviously a wide forward and probably even a number nine. Uh, so... Um, And then if we get that, then you'll see uh, the chances that Odegaard create, obviously, I think, bearing sort of better numbers.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be key as to who wants to come to Arsenal. And I still believe we have pulling power. I don't, I don't take this, we're out the Champions League, so no one wants to come to us, thing, because we're a huge club. We managed to get Thomas Party over the line without Champions League, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Tierney, Gabriel, the list goes on. <coughs> Excuse me, Martin Odegaard signed for Arsenal without any European football. So then we have still got a pulling pull power, and it is up to us to try and sell this project. What I will say, Graham, is I do think there are going to be other clubs that could perhaps attract Plum of the players that we're looking at potentially Darwin Nunes is a player I would have liked but I think there's other clubs that could probably around Europe attract him now um, with more um, European football but also with a a better project to to win trophies I like I really like and would have liked Tammy Abraham I think Chelsea didn't want to sell him to us but he's absolutely killing it scored again, two two goals again last night got to a Europa conference final by beating Leicester with a goal Uh, scored goals in the Premier League he's proven good age massive Arsenal fan I think that would be a fantastic signing. Whether he'd come to Arsenal or not or whether Mourinho would sell him to us or not is a different story. But I really feel that he could come back and do a job for us. Gabriel Jesus is an interesting one because he's not really a prolific centre-forward, in my opinion. He's been Premier League proven, he's a winner, he's got good mentality and I like his work rate. The good thing about him, though, is he can play in a few different positions. We're linked with Marquinhos as well, who's another young, kind of Martinelli-type player from Sao Paulo. So there's quite a few options already. I hear Tielemans is a player that we're looking at also. And a couple of fullbacks, Aaron Hickey and Molina from, La Liga, from uh, Serie A. So there are players already that we're looking at, and I think all of those positions are definitely players that we need to be strengthening. But I think for me, Graham, the main main key is up top. And it's going to be interesting to see who we think we can attract in those positions, because in a way, I believe massive surgery is needed in midfield and up top. Because with Chaka and Elneny and Lakonga, it ain't good enough. And up top, Eddie and Ketty and Lacazette look to be leaving. Balogun isn't ready and needs a lone move. And Martinelli doesn't seem to want to play as a nine. So I think those two key areas of the pitch are massive. Uh, even more so than fullback, just because we do have Tommy Asim and Tierney, albeit we still need two covers. So I think we're looking at potentially needing six to eight players players again
1: Graham like we did last summer well we've already got one in the goalkeeper Saliba we'll, I don't know what you think the position is with Saliba but if Saliba comes back that's another although I know he's, there's been stories coming out I think over the last 24 hours he would like to stay in Marseille I don't know if that's true but whether they could afford to buy him of course I don't think we want to send him out on loan again so if he came back that a, a, would be a positive we've got the goalkeeper Turner as backup I think we need a defensive cover Um Somebody who's two-footed who can play on the right or the left side. I, the um, Kieran Tierney, for example, Dan has only been fit for something like I know you love Kieran Tierney, don't you? But he's only been oh, fit do. for yeah. he's only been fit for something like fifty-seven percent of Arsenal matches. And, and as great as he is, you know that shows you if we're going to have Kieran Tierney uh, as our number one left back. Whatever we do, we need a quality person to come in, not just Tavares as a backup, who's 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 you know learned on the job. You've got to have somebody of the similar level to Tierney, I think. And obviously, Thomas Partey is another issue in midfield. He's always injured. He was never injured at Madrid, but since he's been at Arsenal, he's always been injured, so we need quality there. Um, I think we will get uh, forwards. The reason why I think that, uh, despite not getting Champions League football, we will have a big say will be obviously because we pay the wages. Uh, Arsenal is a big football club. Uh, we have got something like a million pound a month off our wage bill now. They will have money to spend. Uh, they haven't got an unlimited budget, as he said in his press conference yesterday, but they have got money to spend. They will pay football footballers good money to come to Arsenal and you've seen that the sort of wages we have been paying to some of these players that they do structure good deals that's going to attract players. And secondly, European football um, is still there for somebody. Europa League is still a European competition. albeit it's not the Champions League but it's still European football. And thirdly, London is a, a top place for footballers to want to come. So all those things added together means that we still are a, a, a good pool. We are still a big club. Arsenal is a massive club in world football, probably the third biggest English club behind Liverpool and Man United. Uh, and so I still think that we will attract good players. Uh, it's just a question of where those players want to go and what sort of deals could be uh, constructed. Obviously, some will want Champions League football I get there, but I still think there's enough uh, out there for us to get at least one or two quality fours. And also, the uh, the only bonus is, is that they come into Arsenal, as I say, the four line is looking so bare at the moment. Balogun is not quite ready. He will probably not come back next year, might even go out for another loan. Uh, with uh, Bamian gone now, with uh, Lacazette and Niketia likely to go, we could conceivably be saying, come in, "You come coming, you will be our number nine, you will be our wide forward. You know, th- th- you know, we, that's the sort of thing, the sort of conversation that Arteta and Edu will be having with the, with the attacking players. So, yeah, for all that, I still think the fact that we're not in the Champions League, I'm still confident we could get um, a quality forward in, but that's what we desperately need, of course.
0: Yeah, we really, really do. Uh, just to clear a couple of things up in the chat. No, me and Graham are not in the same house, although our, well, our, our wall paint is the same. Uh, and no, Graham is not my dad, uh, as I've seen in the chat. Is that your dad? No, I know that we might look a little bit alike, but no, that's not the case. As you can see, it's Graham Brooks and Dan Potts. There's no relation. Uh, just to clear that up. Um, <laughs> I see that quite a lot, Graham, as well. Are they in the same room? Are they in different rooms? Because I've obviously got the blue paint, haven't we, on the wall. They seem to think we're in different rooms to each other, but there we go. Um, Graham, let's talk a little bit in generically before we bring the teams up about this game, because it's going to be a hard one to predict, really. Everton are now safe, which some people are saying is good for us, and some people believe it not saying it's bad for us, because uh, it might mean that both teams relax and, you know, we 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 drop our drop our game. But where's your thoughts heading towards this one before we go into tactics and team news, mate? Like, in general, what's your feeling? Are you kind of uh, up for it, buzzing for it, obviously trying to get three points just in case the Canaries do us a favour? How's
1: your feeling about this one, mate? Well, first of all, I'll be going to the game tomorrow. Um, I wish I was going there as a sort of like a coronation for the Champions League, obviously, which I'm not. But we are still in it, mate. We are still in it. So it's very important that we go there. I'm sure the players will have the mindset uh, of win the game and just see what happens at norwich i don't think they can go in and just relax and just sort of like treat it as a game of football because technically wherever we think uh, we don't expect tottenham to not win tomorrow against a team who've only won something like five league games all season there's still the possibility it could happen of course and if if they were to lose at norwich and we were just to be flat or not put in a performance and not beat everton it would be even worse wouldn't it so I think the thing is, the important thing is that we go to the stadium tomorrow's fans and get right behind the team from the start and treat it just like a, a normal game that we've got to win. You know, not just sort of like relax as fans and just think, oh, last day doesn't matter. And the same for the players. They've got to turn up tomorrow and put in a performance. At the, the very least, they uh, owe the fans after the last two uh, defeats is a performance. Uh, and, and I think that we've got a very good record on the last day of seasons, which I sent you in the stats this morning. So, and our record against Everton is pretty good. So, um, Everton, for all that, they are safe. So I think they'll be a little bit more relaxed than they normally are. But sometimes a relaxed team with nothing to play for is a dangerous team. You know, they, they could just go there and just sort of like uh, all the tensions lifted and they could just sort of put on a good performance on the day if we allow them to play well. So I think the mindset tomorrow uh, from fans and from players has got to be 100% on it. It's still on the line. We can still get it. Um, but the most important thing is that we do our business and we put in a good performance and get a win, mate. And that's that's what I want to see. I want to see a really good performance from the team tomorrow and a and a good end to the season.
0: Yeah, listen, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see Everton's uh, kind of game plan and and how we come out and approach this one. It's got to be a win so that in case anything does happen at Carrow Road, not that I'm confident that Norwich can take anything from Spurs. However, we have to get three points ourselves. Um Looking at the teams, Graham, it's going to be interesting, this one, because it's quite hard for us to kind of predict what Everton are going to do. And also, we've got some injury concerns ourselves. So, I want to kind of bring the two teams up and see if you can give us a bit of an idea, talk us through why you've gone for this and why you think Arsenal are going to set up the way they do. And, of course, that Everton are going to set up themselves.
1: Well, first of all, starting on the Arsenal uh, team news, obviously, Tommy Asu... White and Gabriel were not fit for that Newcastle game. That was evident to me. I mean, Tommy Asti's barely been dribbled past this season, but St. Maximo was going past him so many times in the first half. He clearly wasn't fit. And in the end, the pressure of it forced him off with an injury. I don't think he's going to be ready. Uh, White and uh, Gabriel. White came back, obviously, holding was suspended. So White came back and Gabriel played, even though he probably wasn't 100% after the injury at Tottenham. So we had like three of our back line uh, not fit against Newcastle, and I think that had a massive outcome in the way the game played out. And of course, we've already lost Kian Tierney on the left-hand side, so almost like the whole back line against Newcastle in one way or the other was disrupted, so why we should be surprised that we struggled defensively in that game, uh, when you see that, um, it was clear. Um, So what's he going to do this week? Um, Well, Holding is now free from his suspension. I suspect that White and Gabriel, one of them won't play. The reason why I've gone for Gabriel is from what I've heard uh, is that White is the more doubtful of the two. So I'm going for Holding coming back in and Gabriel playing uh, as the left-sided centre-back. That means, of course, that Cedric has to play. I mean, Cedric has been absolutely appalling in the last two games. Uh, I think some of the issues we had against Tottenham, where he's making, uh, and why Holding got sent off, because he offered him... So little support on that right-hand side in the first half. He gave away the penalty, obviously, as well. Slightly unlucky in that. I have to say it was a soft pen. But I thought his performance uh, on that right-hand side uh, obviously wasn't great against Spurs. And it uh, was part of the issues we had on the night against Spurs. And then the, the, his performance when he came on against Newcastle, he he obviously, I think, was partly responsible for the goal, the way that they built up down there, left-hand side. He vacated his space. And then he, he allowed him to sort of like... He didn't, you know, he came inside, allowed him to play the ball down the line. So, and I don't think he's been great in the last two games, Cedric. You know, to be fair. So, but he has to play. I think we, I don't think we've got any other option. So that's the back line I've gone for. And of course, in midfield, of course, with Party still out injured, confirmed this week he's out for the season. and no surprises there. I think he could bring in Lekonga. Of course, he could bring in Laconga. Uh, I, I did think about that, but I think he's still going to go with Valnini and uh, Jacka. Jacka might play. That's that left sided number eight in this game, uh with Odegaard in a it's a sort of like a fluid formation, four, two, three, one, but it can uh, flip to a four-three-three and build up. I think Martinelli would come back in for Smith rowe I think he'll look to get Tavares up high with uh, uh the combination that I have to say at Newcastle, when Martinelli replaced Smith rowe there were some encouraging signs at the start of the second half when Tavares and Martinelli were together before Tavares was hooked in the second half and he went two up top. So I think that is what he looked to do. I think Nketiah will get one last chance down the middle uh, and Saka will play on the right. Um, Saka, I think, has been playing with a slight injury over the last few weeks, but I think he'll see out the season. Now, it's very difficult to know what Everton are going to do. Everton started with a back three against uh, Crystal Palace. They went two down. At halftime, he changed it to 4-3-3. But the back three is what he's been playing over the last few weeks. And he's been playing a uh, Woby in this new role at right wing back. So I, I'm thinking that he's going to go a similar formation tomorrow. He could, of course, with the fact that they're safe, revert back to a back four, of course, play Coleman as a right-sided uh, fullback.
0: I've got this
1: funny feeling that he'll play a back three, though. I think uh, Branthwaite, who got sent off against Brentford, is now available again. He's been playing him a lot. So I think he'll come back in in the middle of a three. I think he could play Godfrey, but I think he'll play Keane and Holgate. Um, And then you've got the two wing backs there, the Woby on the right side. Uh, And then I think what you saw was Deli Alley came on against um, Crystal Palace and had a pretty reasonable second half uh, when he replaced Gomez. I think he's going to keep Delhi Alley in the team tomorrow, uh, which obviously gives the fans the chance to let him know what we think of him as the next Tottenham player. Um, and then, of course, the decision he's got up in his front three is is, is with Cowart-Lewin now back down the middle. Cowart-Lewin, who scored against us at the Emirates uh, um, a couple of seasons ago. I remember I was there when he scored a heavy goal. Um, does he pl- bring in Gray? Gray, who, who scored the winner against us at Goodison, uh, has got a, uh, a habit of getting useful goals. But Gordon's been their star, standout young player of the season. So I, I, I'm going to keep Gordon in the team. Lampard is saying that he's going to make one or two changes on Sunday. Uh, hasn't indicated where they will be in the team, so it's very difficult to sort of work out. He could play Gray, of course. He could play Gomez in midfield and not play Ali. Um, I think Ricarlison is obviously, as I said to you, is the key player. Uh, we're going to talk about his stats this season. Uh, and uh, obviously, Calvert-Lewin and Ricardo are two good forwards. So, you know, we've got to be mindful of that. I think that th- that they're going to offer something going forward. You know, so... And I think if they're playing without any pressure, they might be more free-flowing than they have been in recent weeks. But for all that, Dan, I think that they are incredibly sloppy in that a lot of their passing. I've, games I've watched them. They're very vulnerable at set pieces. I think only Leicester have conceded more goals from set plays than them this season. So I think it's an area we can target. Um, I think it might be more of an open game than it would have been had Everton had uh, rele- you know relegation on the line. But I think we should have... Quality to win the game but you know on the back of that they have got one or two useful fours there mate so that's the 11th that so I think that they're going to go with very difficult as I said to predict uh, end of season games anyway and predict end of season 11s you know and uh, the fact that he, uh, Lampard has indicated he's going to make two or three changes he could bring in one or two young players I don't know but that, that I'm just going on what I've seen in recent weeks and what he said I think after the uh, Crystal Palace game
0: yeah, it is hard to put Evans' line up, particularly now that they're safe. But also, we've got a few injury doubts. I think you're definitely right about Tommy. Yes. To, and I believe Ben White wasn't fit against Newcastle. And to be fair, I didn't think Gabriel was either. So if I had to pick one start, it would be Gabriel because White's to be the one who's biggest doubt. Tavares and Cedric, that worries me, particularly with Richarlison because it doesn't matter whether Richardson's on the left or right. I think Gordon as well. They're both going to cause some massive issues to our fullbacks. I do think that El Elneny and Chaka have got to try and win the midfield battle because if they do play yeah. Delhi Ali, at least on, they're,
1: they're not defensive. Yeah, they're not defensively sound in there. Yeah. I think I think this, you are one hundred percent spot on there. I think it, I, I talked about last week. If you, if you don't win your duels, if you don't if you don't win your physical battles, you don't earn the right to play in football matches. And I think the important thing is what I've noticed against Everton is uh, when teams do dominate dominate the midfield. I don't think they've got like ball winning midfielders. Um, obviously, Allen's a massive loss for them. He, he's somebody who's been out for a while. Obviously, DeCorey's is a good player. Don't get me wrong. But but I do think that's crucial. I think El Nini and Jacka do what they couldn't do on Monday night and start winning their tackles. We need to sort of like have, I think, the ability to sort of like control the game by sort of winning our tackles and sort of like controlling the midfield. I think midfield is a massive part of football. And if you don't win your duels in midfield, you surrender the football in those areas and then teams can sort of dominate football matches. So it is important our midfield is, is really good, not just in build-up play in winning
0: tackles and duels and earning the right to play. Yeah, 100% you're spot on. And I think Cedric and Tavares play a huge part in this game tomorrow in terms of their discipline and positioning because there's no point just following Richarlison around because he'll just have you. You've got to have your eye on him and look at where he's going from an advanced level, in my opinion. And your positioning needs to be spot on. I just want to read out some stats from Richarlison that um, you'd sent me over, kindly, Graham, because I think they're really Mm. important. And this is, for me, why, of course, we've chosen him as the key player. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be a handful. He's a nuisance of a centre-forward, but I do have more faith in Gabriel up against him than I do Cedric and Tavares against Gordon and Richarlison. But Richarlison has 15 goal contributions this season and he's reached 10 Premier League goals for the third time in his Everton career. He's only the second Everton player to score 10 or more league goals. Lukaku has been the best with, with the best return. He's done that four times. So Richarlison's is going to be key. Do you have the confidence that we can try and keep him quiet is my first question, Graham. And secondly, how, how do we try to do that, do you think?
1: I think when, when uh, we played them at uh, Goodison early in the season, uh, they beat us 2-1 with a late grey goal. But I think it was Carlison, who was their main threat on the night and got them level. And we struggled to, to deal with his movement. We struggled to deal with his um, – he is a really high-intensity footballer. you know. Um, and, and I think that keeping him quiet tomorrow is important. Uh, I suspect he'll play on the left. So I think, um, you know, that worries me again because we saw the frailties on our right side with Cedric and Holding. if he did go on that right-hand side. I think the way you deal with it, obviously you're hoping that Elneny on that right-hand side can be a bit more disciplined and offer a bit more protection on that right-hand side. I think that's what you're going to need. And we're not going to be, we just don't want him one-on-one with Cedric. So you're going to need somebody, I think Saka's got to do a job as well, coming back and defending. I think it's all about the way you play as a team sometimes, uh, not just about sort of like um, individual battles. Um, so he is going to be a problem tomorrow. no doubt about it. And he can play on the right. He can play on the left. They will probably identify two areas of our team. They might see Tavares as a weak link when he's up high and try and exploit that space in behind. Or they could easily look on our right-hand side and say Cedric and Holding was a partnership that looked pretty awful against Tottenham. So... And that's the problem with this team. We've been That's one of the reasons why we haven't got Champions League football at the end of the day. The backups haven't been good enough. Uh, and, you know, when Tommy Asu and Kiantini play and party sits in midfield, you've got three quality players in those positions and you're less worried. The drop-off is so great that teams look at us. Sometimes you, the way they target you tells you where your weak areas are. And, and I've watched teams target these areas against us over the last few weeks. So... Um, How do we keep him quiet? I think he's going to have to be a collective It's going to be a collective effort On that right-hand side, if he plays on that side Uh, We've got to be incredibly disciplined Of course, if Cedric Cedric is better playing forward than defending And the same with Tavares, and that's the problem you've got You've got 2 fullbacks there who are probably better going forward Than defending So Mm. I think Elneny is going to have to do A really disciplined job on that right-hand side Tomorrow, and I think we're just going to I think we're going to have to control the game If we control the game more Rick Carlton is less of a threat, but he was instrumental in them turning the game around at Goodison Park. So he will be a massive threat, 15 goal contributions. He's a, He's got a very intense game, uh, and I think he'll be an issue for us tomorrow. And unfortunately, we can only... The team is the team, isn't it? Um, I can't see um, how we can move away from that. Uh, I mean, you know, because if, if we had our full step side out, i will be less concerned, but it is going to be a worry. I just think as a team, we've got to try and be disciplined off the ball and, and sort of get on the ball, and And have presence enough to 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 force them back so that he he's got less of the ball he's defending more if he if he's having to sort of like get back and help his defense more, they've got less chance of worrying about him offensively so but yeah you are one hundred percent right he's going to be a key man for them tomorrow and a danger that we're going to need to take care of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, good afternoon to Lynn in the chat. Uh, brings a good point, Graham. How about playing a back three tomorrow? Because then you've got Nuno's pace, brilliant going forward, and of course you've mentioned Cedric going forward as well. Is there an opportunity for that at all, or is it just the centre backs just not fit enough?
1: No, I just don't think we've got enough fit players, have we? The two, the, the two players who could play that role are out, or, or potentially. Out. I mean, I'm saying that Ben White will be out. I mean, if he if he's fit, you could play it, couldn't you? You could play White. You could play White, Holden, uh and Gabriel as a three. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that at home, I though. I, he's, he's, his preferred style of play now is, is in a 4-2-3-1, four, three, three, four, stroke 4-3-3. Three, three. The only time we play the back three normally is away from home, or, or we revert to it if we're defending a lead. I don't see him at home playing a back three. Um, there's an argument for it that the full-backs are uh, attacking full-backs weak defensively. I get that. But I think you just find other ways around it. Um, so fair point. I mean, a back three would probably make us more solid, but it might take away something going forward. Um, because I'm just thinking who we'd leave out. Then we'd have to leave out one of the midfielders, and maybe Odegaard plays slightly deeper. So um, no, I think that um, if you if if you were playing away from home against a, a top opponent, possibly, but not at home against Everton, I just don't think we're going to have the fit personnel to play that formation.
0: Uh, I agree. Um, I can't see it at all, if I'm honest with you. I think that we will go with similarly to the team that uh, we've put up on the screen. I think the only change could be, obviously, in terms of injuries, um, that we see how injured people are. Graham, I'm going to go through with some of the Everton Arsenal match stats that you sent over kindly. Uh, In terms of the history... Arsenal and Everton head to head. Uh, We've won 107 in all competitions. Everton have won 64 and we have 46 draws between us. In the league, Arsenal have 98 wins. Everton have 60 wins and there's been 43 draws. More recently, Arsenal have beaten Everton 34 times, the joint most with West Ham of any team they faced in the Premier League era. Arsenal have scored 112 goals versus Everton in the Premier League and only Man United and Newcastle have scored more goals against an opponent in the Premier League era. That's a great stat. Arsenal have lost their last three games versus Everton, which is not a great stat, including a 2-1 reverse fixture in the game at the Goodison Park earlier in the season, which of course we all remember but wish to forget very quickly. Arsenal have only lost four games in a row to four opponents, Chelsea, Newcastle, Liverpool and twice at Man City. The current run, standing at 10. Arsenal go into the game without a clean sheet in nine games, which is absolutely horrendous. And then the final game of the season stats. This is the third time that Arsenal faced Everton on the final day of the season. Arsenal winning the previous two. Arsenal are unbeaten on the final day of the season in their last 16, winning 14 of them and drawing two. And no team has won more final day games than Arsenal. 20 or as higher win rate of 69 percent there's some great stats in there there's some awful stats in there let's hope that we come away with the best stats mate um i want to before we end um and get a, get a score prediction from you and then i've got something else to ask you so graham what are you going for mate score tomorrow arsenal versus everton
1: i can't go against us i don't think we get a clean sheet because evidence tells us we're not keeping clean sheets so i think they'll score um I think there might be a few goals in this one Dan I just, uh, we don't score that many goals so I'm just flipping between 2-1-3-2 Arsenal I- I'll tell you what
0: I'll go 2-1 Arsenal oh look at that that's why me and you get on so well um I've gone 2-1 <laughs> Arsenal as well mate um I think we'll do it I think we'll get across the line but I don't think it's going to be a uh something that we where we see ourselves breezing it and there's a, a walk in the park so to say Mark's in agreement. he's gone 2-1 Arsenal as well um it's going to be a real weekend of decisions, Graham. Um It's going to decide who's going to win the title. It's going to decide who's going to get top four. The top six race still isn't decided. The relegation fight still isn't decided. So I thought we'd end, seeing as it's the last one of the season, with some predictions um, for what you think is going to happen, mate. So we'll both do them. Uh, we'll see how similar we are. I think the season's going to end. Let's start with the title. Um, who do you think is going to win? Is Man City under Pep or Liverpool under Klopp for you, mate?
1: Well, I'm going to go to Man City, you know. Um, I, I'll tell you what would be ironic if Gerrard uh, actually got a result for them tomorrow, uh, made up for his slip. Remember when he slipped over in the league game against Chelsea? Uh, and yep. he's, he's forever been known as Slippy, Slippy G, isn't he, since that moment? But um, no, I think that Man City for the league for me. I think they would be too strong for Villa. Uh, Villa don't press up high. I think City would dominate the whole game and they're bound to take a few chances and I think they'll win comfortably.
0: Yeah, I've got to agree. I don't see Man City slipping it up. Now, I went for Liverpool at the start of the season before a ball was kicked. I said Liverpool win the league and I was laughed at. Everyone laughed. it it be Chelsea? I thought, come on, look, Chelsea haven't got enough. Even Lukaku isn't enough for them. they still got four or five players they need to strengthen. Man City, I didn't think, could do it again without a striker. They've proven me wrong. They can. They don't need a centre-forward. Now they've got one in Haaland. They should be able to walk it. If they can win the league two seasons running without a striker, just imagine what they can do now with Haaland. I don't think no, Liverpool have been...
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think that if they win tomorrow, is that four out of the last five they won? I yeah, think they won won the, something like seven of the last ten. I, 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 something ridiculous like that. I think that there's only less that Chelsea and Liverpool have won the Premier League in the last decade other than Man City. And it just shows how dominant they are uh, in the league. And with Harlan coming next year, Dan, I just think it's hard to see. how they Everybody they're not going give next up. Year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's scary, gets, isn't it? Unless I he mean... gets injured, Unless he gets injured, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, There is a chance that he could come over and flop, but I really doubt that is the case. I think this guy looks special. Um, Liverpool need a lot of credit, in my opinion, because I actually do think Liverpool's strength in depth has been improved massively, absolutely immensely. I think the signings of Diaz and Jota have been fantastic. I think the signing of Cunyate, I think the signings in midfield. When you look at the players that don't start for Liverpool, you'd be surprised how good some of them are. When you look at, you know, people talk about Minamino and Origi, I'm not even talking about them, I'm talking about the Keitas, I'm talking about the oxlade Chamberlain's Cunyates, some of the fullbacks they've got now, and Simbikassi looks a really good player since he's come in. Firmino doesn't really get much of a look in these days, and he's a top top level uh, player so I think Liverpool deserve a lot of credit but I just think with what they've got with the quadruple still being on how can you not respect that team I think they've been fantastic but I do think um, early on in the season cost them uh, they have done really well to catch up and take this to the last game of the season but Man City have just been so good I don't see them dropping points at Villa no. I see both teams winning and I think it'll be City you get the
1: title uh, I think I think finally while we're talking about Liverpool uh, just the this is where we are. If you think back to when Klopp came, I think their first season, they were about seventh or eighth. And their budget is very similar to us. What they've done over the years is they've been very shrewd the way the players they've got rid of, sold, and the players they brought in. uh, And they put sprinkled quality uh, around the team. Um, So I think there's something we can learn from the way Liverpool have gone. Uh, And obviously Klopp is a fantastic manager. And and he was available, wasn't he, around the time... uh, you know, back in the Wenger's reign. I mean, we, you know, he got on really well with Wenger and he was always seen in the Arsenal, even at Arsenal games when he wasn't there with Dortmund. I've see him there a couple of times. So, But for all that, I just think that um, we can learn something the way that Liverpool, with their budget, the way that they've built their team. Uh, and it is a fantastic team now with a great manager, obviously. But I just hope that, you know, looking at where we are, we are where they were about five or six years ago. So, Maybe that you know if we can get the right signings, uh, recruitment is obviously key, and it's going to be key again this summer. Uh, maybe we can sort of like push back to the top like they did because remember they went through a period almost like they've only won one league title down in thirty-two years, and they went through a. I know they won the Champions League, but they had a, a period when they just were nowhere near the titles, were they? Uh, when Man United and Chelsea were dominant, even when we were dominant, of course.
0: Yeah, I think you make great points there, Graham. The only reason that I'll disagree slightly in terms of comparing us to that Liverpool project is because Liverpool have got a proven experienced manager in Klopp. And you've got them into the top four his first full season. Uh, we're three seasons down with an experienced manager and we still can't make that Champions League. So I do think that we've got some issues in terms of our experience, but I like the way that you're, you, you you backed up your opinions there. I do feel our recruitment is key. I think the Liverpool recruitment has been exceptional. They've not bought anybody from Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Man City, nothing like that. They've gone with players from Roma like Salah and Alisson. They've gone with Southampton, Sunderland, Arsenal, Benfica, Leipzig players, Hoffenheim players, Hull, Robertson from Hull. Absolutely fantastic way they've recruited it and got that philosophy in.
1: And also the way they've sold players. Do you realise that they sold uh, players like uh, Solanke? And who's the uh, defender? yeah. Uh, the defender, Chaco, is it? What was his name?
0: Sacco. Uh, right? Sacco. Yeah, they've,
1: they've yeah. got Sacco, Solanke, uh, you
0: know Jordan do you know, Ibe. Yeah,
1: do you know how much they got sold those players for? They got something like, the, uh, something like 29, 30 million for each of those players, didn't they? Something like we right. sold... And we then, of course,
0: 140 for, for Coutinho. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So, uh, I mean, fair play to their sort of, not only their recruitment team, but the people doing the deals for them and getting rid of these players and, persuading teams to play a, a lot more money than these players are worth. So. Yeah, absolutely.
0: absolutely. No, absolutely, mate. I'm with you. I think we both agree in Man City are probably going to take it, but Liverpool deserve a yeah. lot of credit. Um, do you see Arsenal getting top four or do you think it's starting up now and Spurs have just got to get a point at Carrow Road? Uh, no,
1: it's starting up, isn't it? How can you back Norwich five wins all season? It's not going to be a, uh, you know, you're relying on Pukie, uh tomorrow. <laughs> so. I just can't see it happening, now. For me, it's Tottenham top top, top, and top four. Man City title, Tottenham top four.
0: Yeah, you're not going to get any disagreement from there. Let's talk about the top six. West Ham are away to Brighton, Man United away to Palace. Two tough teams for West Ham and Man United. Who do you see getting top six Europa League and who do you see getting the European Conference League out of those two, mate? I
1: must not really thought about it, to be honest. Uh, what, what's those fixtures again?
0: And what's so the Man point United again? are... Man United are away to Palace. Um, West Ham are away to Brighton. Two very tough games, if I'm honest. I don't know if I even know, I don't know if I even see either of those winning those games. No, let me just see let me just see the uh,
1: points because it's a good question. While you're, uh, you're looking that up, West Ham have got an awful record against Brighton. So I don't think they've beaten Brighton since they've been back in the Premier League. And I think that Crystal Palace at home is a very difficult job for, for Man United. So I can see both teams losing. So who's ahead at the moment?
0: Man United are sixth with two points ahead of West Ham in seven. Well, go, go, go for Man United then. <laughs> Yeah, see, I agree. I think Man United will probably uh, take the Europa League and uh, West Ham will be in the European Conference League. Um, Let's go for relegation, mate. Everton are safe. It looks like it's going to be Watford, Norwich and either Leeds or Burnley. So who do you fancy there, mate? Let's have a look at the uh, fixtures finally to see who you fancy. Um, Both teams got a very, very difficult game. Leeds have got Brentford at Brentford and Burnley have got Newcastle at Burnley. Where's your money going
1: there, mate? I just can't see Leeds getting anything at Brentford. That's the problem. And Leeds have got such a poor goal difference. So, yeah. reluctantly, I, I love Leeds as a club. I mean, they're a club, uh, when I was growing up in the 70s, Leeds were the big team of Arsenal used to be challenged. But when we won the double in 71, we actually uh, won it, the league title. Uh, Leeds were our, our competitors that year. Then we lost the final to them in 72 in the FA Cup final. So, Leeds were a massive team in the 70s. Leeds is a big club. It is a Premier League club. Unfortunately, uh, I just don't see him staying up tomorrow. And uh, I think Brentford, who uh, with Eric, since Ericsson's come in, they've gone to a different level. Uh, Tottenham couldn't win at Brentford recently, uh, and I think Ericsson, they won at Chelsea, didn't they? Were an Eriksson performance that day. So I just think that Brentford had too much of him on the day and will beat Leeds. And I think Burnley will stay up. Unfortunately, because I'd like to see Burnley go, to be honest.
0: Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I think Burnley will go. Um, I think Newcastle yeah. are flying. Yeah, I think Newcastle are flying and I think they'll beat them. I know Burnley's a different, play, difficult place to go, but I think Newcastle have got enough to take it to Burnley. I don't think Burnley, since they've lost Sean Dyche, have been in a downfall as much as I thought they would be. I thought Dyche leaving would have really just buried them. But I fancy Leeds to take something off of Brentford. I just think they've got the, the, the fans. I think they've got the momentum. I think they've got, they're trying to do all that they can to, to, to real battle and fight in this league. And I've just got a feeling... I, just, I don't know why, I've just got a feeling they'll take something and Burnley won't and they'll they'll stay up by a point and if I'm honest with you I'd rather see Burnley go down than Leeds because I think Leeds are great and I, I like like what they stand for in terms of their history. I think their fans are fantastic, it's a great place to go, Ellen Road and I'd rather go to Ellen Road next season than I would Turf Moor so I fancy going to, uh, I fancy Leeds to stay up maybe that's my, my kind of heart talking over my head but um, I do fancy Leeds to just stay up but uh, it's going to be interesting mate, their goal difference has really let them down this season they've got absolutely battered in a lot of games this season. And if I'm honest with you, it has come down to goal difference. And uh, if they both say the same, leads are going to go down. Graham, at least my last question. Um, Manager of the year for you. Uh, who are you going for, mate? Wow. <laughs> Do you want me to go first what you ever think about Yeah,
1: I must it? say you caught me off guard here. Um, I have. Sorry, i put well, you on the obviously spot. Obviously, the, the, the thing is, your decision is sort of tempered by, I think, what first of all goes on in the game That's still to be played, So, so for example, if, if Klopp was to win the treble or even the quadruple, you, you'd have to give it to Klopp. Um, so, it, and it, it, they could win the league tomorrow. So, it's still possible. I still, I think that they'll beat Real Madrid. So, uh, so, to win three finals, you'd have to give it to Klopp. In terms of managers coming up in the league, I think if you look around, there's been some managers done some fantastic jobs in the Premier League on reduced budgets. Um, I think... Uh, Frank has done a really good job at Brentford, for example. We're talking about Brentford. Um, I'm just trying to think where else. Uh, I think probably you 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 come in. Klopp. Who are you? Klopp. Well, Klopp.
0: I think it's yeah. going to be Klopp or Pep, yeah. whoever wins the league. It's normally whoever wins the league. Yeah, do you is, know yeah. who I would go? Do you know who I'd I'm, go I'm for? I'm
1: just trying to think. Is there someone we haven't thought of? Come up yeah, there, a is. Who's,
0: there is. There is, mate. 100%. The one I would give it to, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Gooner. Patrick Vieira. How the hell has he done that? (laughs) Now, he he came into the job with seven players. He got to uh, recruitment absolutely spot on with Mark Gay at the back, with um, uh, Conor Gallagher, with um, Mateta, with the, uh, what's his name, Michael Alise. He's brought Tyreek Mitchell on. I think he's been absolutely brilliant, got himself into the England side. And for me, having seven players bringing the recruitment in, getting them to a semi-final of the FA Cup, keeping them safe when they're favourites for relegation. I can't look further than Patrick Vieira. I think Bruno Larg was another one um, who's done very well at Wolves. But for me, I'd give it to Patrick Vieira, but it would be Peppel Klopp, of course, who deserve it because they've had great seasons. But if you wanted to pick someone outside of it, I don't know how you can't look at anyone else than Patrick Vieira. I think he's
1: been brilliant, Graham. No, absolutely spot on, mate. I knew there was somebody I was searching, trying to think. And how could I not think of Patrick Vieira, who a lot of people see as possibly... A lot of people actually want as Arsenal manager one day. So, yeah, he's done a fantastic job. Uh, great shout that Dan. Uh, I also think Frank's done a good job at Brentford because I did not see yeah. them sort of like being where they've got to in the league. They've done really well. So, But, yeah, I think Patrick Vieira is a fair shout. I think overall, though, I think that uh, Pep will win the, the league again. But I think the manager of the year will go to Klopp, What he's got out to, to take a team, actually to the back end of the season to actually still be in all four competitions going right to the end is a fact not I can't ever think of that being done before. Uh, so um, he's done a, a wonderful job at Liverpool and I think there's a strong argument regardless whether Pep wins the, the league and he loses the Champions League final. The fact that he's done that he only ends up with two trophies that you could argue he's the manager. Yeah, but right. They tend to give it to the man who normally wins the Premier League, don't they? But uh, I think Klopp for me, I think that's a fair shout. You couldn't argue against them, even as things stand. There's a fair shout that he should be manager of the
0: year. Here. Yeah, right. I'm with you. I think even as things stand, to even get yourself into a quadruple situation. Wow. I mean, that's never ever. Um, happened before and I don't think it will happen but if they do the domestic uh, cup trebles then um, where will they stand in history? Will they be better than the treble winners of 99? Will they be better than Invincibles? Better than Centurions? Where does it stand? But if you don't win that league, can you be put in that bracket? That's the question uh, This has been a pleasure. Before we do go um, for everyone in the chat watching live, thank you. Would you mind doing me a huge favour? I'm going to be running a new channel alongside League Judges TV which is going to be a Premier League podcast Football's 12th Man podcast. If if you can head over to YouTube, I'll put the link in the description after this. If you just type in football's 12th man on YouTube, this will come up. Please um, like and subscribe. It is coming June. I'm trying to get, if I can, to 1,000 uh, subs in time for it. Um, I put it out last night and it went, sorry, night before last. we just over, just getting up to about 750, so for the 350 watching, if you could all come over and sub, that would be amazing, and then I hit my 1k start, and that's my first target, so thank you all so much for doing that, and I'm looking forward to that myself, so we can actually get some Premier League content for you, you will recognise all of the influencers, trust me, you'll know them, and I'm sure you probably watch them regularly as well as you do myself, Lee and Graham, Um, and we're going to be discussing top four, we're going to be looking at races for the title next season, we're going to be doing some summer content in relation to transfer news, we're going to be looking at combined 11s we're going to be looking at debates hot topics and we're going to be having all premier league content so it'll be whether you support Burnley, Leeds, arsenal wolves palace there will be somebody representing your club so that you don't feel left out so please come and subscribe if you haven't done so already football's 12th man podcast on youtube i would much appreciate that if you haven't done so already i know a lot of you have in the chat and i thank you for that already um Guys it's been an absolute pleasure um, but what I want to do is is thank Graham Um, for this show it's been an absolute pleasure I love these shows mate I love you on AFTV Insight I think it's by far the best channel Um, there is a couple of uh, things I want to put before we go there's somebody has said earlier that I'd rather Mr Brooks as manager than Mikel Arteta mate you've been an absolute pleasure to join mate Um, somebody who doesn't uh, have much confidence however is a super chat from Luke Gallia thank you Luke better prepare ourselves for another holding red card he says and a lacklustre performance if that's our setup not confident in Arteta's tactics at the moment. Let's hope he can prove us wrong, Luke, because I do have question marks and I am a little unconvinced myself. Uh, Graham, thank you so much, mate. Honestly, it's been a pleasure doing this and I look forward to next season yeah. uh, and you joining us on uh, join, joining yeah, us again. I mate. think
1: we can do, obviously this year, we've only done about seven or eight shows and we haven't done that many this year for various reasons, but maybe we can do it more regularly next season. Um, I always enjoy talking to you, Dan. You're my favourite as I said to you in the tweet when I put out, of all the people I've met on social media that, uh, doing these sort of podcasts, you are my favourite, easily my favourite. I liked you the moment you came on saying about Arsenal, you've got great opinions about football. You see it from a fan's perspective as well as being a passionate Arsenal fan. So there's a lot to like about them. I think that's good, you're going to put into this new channel. Wish you all the best for that. And uh, hopefully that me and you will have a drink at the end of the season with we'll me judges somewhere uh, and reflect on it. But more importantly, I just want to see Arsenal getting back to where they want to be next season. You know, it's been a rough ride. I still think it's been a good season for all that. But I do want to see us get back to where we should be, challenging for titles or challenging for trophies next season. But, yeah, thanks for inviting me on this year. And good luck with the 12th Man podcast. I think you're going to smash it, mate. All the best
0: bless you mate thank you so so much man and uh, if everyone could support the channel like and subscribe this uh, video please head over to football's 12th man be much much appreciated we do absolutely love engaging with you interacting with you in the chat I love seeing the comments I love seeing you coming back and regulars in there as well it's been an absolute pleasure we'll be back for an end of season review on Monday evening with some guests and some guest callers uh, to wrap up what's been uh, a interesting season yet again for the Arsenal uh, until then we'll see you next time let's hope for three points and let's hope the connection can do something that we think is impossible take care guys we'll speak to you soon and up the arsenal